we we as industry have been, and I said this earlier today, we've been very fortunate. We have a governor and two U.S. senators who understand the importance and the role that oil and gas plays, not just in providing cheap energy from a consumer standpoint, but the role it plays with schools, with roads, with infrastructure, and the importance that means to the state today and tomorrow, and that we understand as an industry we have to balance that with a good regulatory environment that makes sure that the lowest common denominator does the right thing in order to be a good neighbor and a good partner particularly in areas that we see increased urbanization from. That was Al Walker, president and CEO of Anadarko Petroleum, among the world's largest independent oil and natural gas exploration and production companies. Welcome to What Turns You On, the Colorado Oil and Gas Association podcast presented by CH2M. I'm Steve Ludwig, your host. And I'm Casey Henderson, your co-host. Now, we recorded this at COGA's 2016 annual Rocky Mountain Energy Summit. So you hear a little bit of background noise, but this is a fantastic interview. Al covers a number of major topics, including how the use of big data will continue to drive oil oil and gas production decisions. Yeah, what's really interesting, Al also talks about how he thinks the gap between the global and U.S. oil benchmarks will shrink, why Colorado is so important to the company, and a a number of other topics that only a CEO can talk about. Exactly. Uh, Before we get started, we want to, of course, thank CH2M for sponsoring this podcast. Headquartered right here in Colorado, CH2M helps the oil and gas industry with upstream, midstream, and downstream work across the project lifecycle. This includes engineering, project management, siting, licensing, permitting, and water and wastewater management. And for more information, you can check out seechtwim.com.com. Okay, now that that's out of the way, on, on with the, the podcast. podcast. And once again, we're at the Colorado Oil and Gas Association Rocky Mountain Energy Summit. This year's theme is our energy evolution with us right now. We're very fortunate to have Al Walker, the CEO of Anadarko Petroleum. Anadarko does oil and gas production in the United States, the Gulf of Mexico, Colombia, and Africa. They expect to produce more than 280 million barrels this year of oil equivalent, that's oil, natural gas, and natural gas liquids. Of that figure, they're producing around 313,000 barrels of oil per day. And as of uh, when we're recording this in late August, Anadarko has a market capitalization of around 30 billion dollars. I'm sure that's going up as the price of oil goes that direction as well. Al, thank you so much for being here. When did you take over Reigns as CEO? I have been the CEO for just about four and a half years. Yeah, so during an easy, non-complicated time in the oil and gas business. <laughs> well, I'm not really sure there's ever an easy time in the oil and gas business until you look back on it and go, oh, that seems easy in retrospect. Right. Now, you've also, you know, you came in and, and take a se- very senior leadership role at the, at the height of the shale boom. Did anyone, did you see that coming along? Well, you know, as we talked to our board in 08 and 09, as we were starting to get fairly involved at that time in the Marcellus, and then later with the Eagleford Shale. Mm-hmm. So the Marcellus is back east. That's mostly a natural gas play. The Eagleford has both natural gas and oil in Texas. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, our view at that time was we were just at the beginning of it as an industry. We mm-hmm. were just at the beginning of it as a company. We were uncertain exactly where it was going to go, but we were willing to commit a lot of work to understand it. And I'll remember quite uh, vividly at the time I was the COO and made a recommendation to our board that uh, we actually needed to drill 100 wells in the Marcellus in terms of how to understand it. Uh, One of our board members looked at me and said, now you told me that was like five million dollars per well right and i said yes yeah. so y- <laughs> you want you want us to give you 500 million dollars of walking around money i said we need to drill 100 wells to really understand what we don't know 
And so the answer is, I guess, in short, yes. <laughs> right. Wow. Now, that what's been really fascinating uh, is how the technology has changed and how more efficient everyone's become, especially Anadarko. That price per well has really come down, hasn't it? Well, I think you, what, what you're seeing, you're seeing the benefits of the service industry working with the upstream industry to figure out what can be done more efficiently, uh, what can be done more cheaply. And then as we understand the rock properties better, we have a much better appreciation for how to stay in the formation that we're trying to drill. And then afterwards, when we come back and we do the fracture stimulation through whatever proppet and water or fluids we're pumping through, we've understood through R&D and through trial and error how to do that better and faster. So mm -hmm. I think in this case, industry working with the service sector has really been a good marriage. Right. Now I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, and I know actually no one knows the answer to this, but when do you think the market's going to balance between supply and demand and sort of some of the glut gets worked out? Well, and I'm, I'm going to hold you to it. That's, that's fun. That's fun. <laughs> um, I, I get held accountable for a lot of things I say. You know, back in June at a Wells Fargo's conference, uh, I, I made some comments as a part of uh, speaking engagement there where I commented that at the time, oil was 50, and we had gone through a fairly nice little recovery at that point. The comments I made at that time were we were going to likely see a leg down through the summer into early fall because as the Nigerian, Venezuelan, and Canadian uh, oil went off the market and came back on in some form or fashion, the market had to absorb that. Um, we were going to see inventories drop for a period of time, and that will all be really nice. But then once we started to see that recovery of those barrels that went off the market coming back in, we should expect some sort of leg down. I think we're kind of almost to the back side mm -hmm. of that. Uh, the comments I made a few weeks now back in our earnings call for the second quarter uh, when asked specifically by uh, an equity analyst, uh, so when do you think you're going to see that equilibrium point? I said, we could see as early as the fourth quarter. And I think today... We think we have a very good chance where industry could see an mm -hmm. average price of $60 for WTI in 2017. Wow, that's early, mid, late? Well, I think we could uh, see the beginnings of it in uh, the fourth quarter. Oh, nice. Yeah. So we're recording this in late August, so fourth quarter will be late part of this year. WTI is the U.S. oil benchmark, for those that don't follow that, the West Texas Intermediate, which everyone looks at. Uh, will U.S. oil exports help your company and the overall industry as we move forward? Well, I think oil exports actually help the consumer uh, more than our industry. In how's, the, how's that? Well, the reason simply being is that uh, the price of gasoline in this country is priced off of a crude oil product. And for years, uh, they had the ability of taking, the, which is either the higher you know, uh, Brent or WTI, mm. and using that to establish a world price for gasoline. So as the two benchmarks move closer together with exports, the consumer actually will get cheaper gasoline over time. We've already seen the, the benefits of that here even this year. But do you think it will, to, to build on Casey's question, it seems like if you have more places to sell your product through exports, that's got to be better for the industry, uh, for Anadarko and the industry as a whole, I would think. What we hope and believe is that over time you won't have as big a divergence between WTI and Brent. Mm -hmm that the delta that exists uh, during a certain period of times historically when you had a captive U.S. market, you couldn't sell outside the U.S., the U.S. equivalent benchmark WTI would then become significantly at a difference to the world benchmark equivalent of, of Brent. Mm -hmm. So over time, as those two uh, merge or trade closer to one another, depending upon currency translation, 
uh, or interest rates because all oil is pretty much denominated mm -hmm. uh, in U.S. dollars. And so consequently, as interest rates go up, the dollar uh, forces the price of oil to go down. Mm -hmm. So I think whether it's a technical reason like that or a fundamental reason, you know, we're not that far out of balance today. We're about a million and a half barrels out of balance on around 96 million barrels Glo a day of consumption. Globally. globally. Okay. And so as our ability in this country to figure out what we're going to do next, we're, we're going from 9.6 million barrels a day mm -hmm. that we produced at the peak to probably around 8 when it bounces. And at some point that'll start to recover. When it does, and we have a real-world oil market for oil, then we in this country won't be uh, at the disadvantage we were historically when there was such a big divergence between WTI and Brent. So that's the benefit. Got it. How important has technology been um, through the down cycle? Like it seems, and we talked about efficiencies before, but how important has that been and how important moving forward? Because the, the, the United States Energy Information Administration recently came out with reports that by 2040, you know, we're going to be 40% higher barrels production per day, but that's based on best guesses and current technology. Well, one of the things that we have seen as industry that is probably not as well known is that we've all been starting to use more and more the big data analytics that mm -hmm. other industries have used. From that, we're able to understand better how to drill our wells, how to drill them quicker, faster, cheaper, by understanding through uh, the, the analysis of you know, terabytes of data that we can then compress and understand and distill down, you know, really what were we doing as a best case scenario or a composite best case to drill that well. So that big data analytics has made a big difference as price of oil has gone from where it was in 2014 to where it, you know, bottomed out, unfortunately, in January. Um, you've seen industry be able to figure out how to be resilient. I mean, this is a very resilient industry that understands how to survive. We don't get bailed out by the government. We do have bankruptcies. So there is a little bit of a Darwinianism you are not that takes too, place. You are not too big to fail. That's right. Right, yeah. So one of the areas you're very, very active in, and you've spent billions over the past five to ten years, is Colorado. Correct. And I know that the company's really committed to the state. Why, why is Colorado so attractive to Anadarko? Well, first, uh, we're a very large working interest owner in the leases that we lease, uh, and we also are the largest mineral interest owner in the state of Colorado. So uh, many of the wells that we drill have 100% working interest and 100% net revenue interest. What does that mean? Well, that means instead of paying, I'd like to pretend I could answer that. I don't know. That's okay. <laughs> that's okay. When, when we go as industry to lease property yep. to be able to drill, yep. we will pay... Uh, the mineral interest owner, yeah. some percentage of the revenue stream. In our case, much of the DJ Basin, we have the mineral interest every other section underneath, and so consequently our working interest and our net revenue interest, the amount of money that we earn through the working interest is equivalent to the amount of net revenue that we retain. So we actually have an economic advantage over anybody else producing out of the DJ. Because you don't have to pay royalties to people. Well, not we don't pay royalties to uh, on 100%. I mean, right. it's every other section of okay. the DJ is pretty much mineral interest us. So it's not 100% mineral right. interest owned, but a large percentage of our production we actually own the mineral interest. And just to be clear, the DJ Basin's a major shale basin that's in the north uh, eastern part of the state, also goes into Wyoming. It's where thousands of drills. How many wells does Anadarko have in the state? Do you know? Hmm. A lot. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, caught you off guard on that one. That's okay. Um, 
one of the things that Anordarco has also been uh, very active in community outreach right. uh, in the state, and more so than other companies. Why, why have you chosen to go that route? Well, I, won't, I would go so far as to say maybe not more so than Noble. I think Anadarko and Noble both have been very active with their ambassador and advocate programs of going out and having their employees actually talk to people about what the oil and gas industry is in order to create a better understanding for people that are willing to listen. Uh, unfortunately, our industry goes through uh, a lot of times where people make comments, people make observations, and it's a little like graffiti getting written mm -hmm. on a wall. Yep. And I like to say you can't edit graffiti. But in our case, I think our employees can actually go out and edit graffiti by changing what people have been told is wrong. And a good example would be until the EPA came out with their own study and said groundwater does not get contaminated. That through. came out in June. That was right. a big deal. That was big. But until then, you know, we would have to explain, no, there, there is no cases of this. And you go through the historical data and you'd show it. Now, since the EPA has come out and confirmed that, it's helpful. But we were dealing with many, many places around the country where people are absolutely sure that groundwater was being contaminated by hydraulic fracturing. Right. And that, that's very interesting. So d during this downturn, the oil and gas industry has, frankly, lost some employees. Um, do you think there will be enough workers in, I guess, what we would call the talent pipeline once uh, conditions improve? Well, it's a question you can't say with certainty. Uh, the only thing I can tell you is that we've gone through cycles like this before, uh, probably the 86 to 91 mm -hmm. period being the most dramatic that would be equivalent to what we're going through right now. And you do have to go back and retrain a new workforce, whether it's upstream companies like Anadarko and Noble here in Colorado or the service sector like Schlumberger and Halliburton. You know, they proportionally actually laid off more of their employees than we have. And you do worry about, you know, how much of this retraining is, is going to be actually be able to be achieved because until you see it, you don't know. And at the end of the day, the workforce and, and the powerfulness of that is only going to be gauged by once they get retrained. Um, you do worry that many of these people will leave the workforce and never come back. And will, be, will this be an industry that uh, the next graduate from a Colorado School of Mines wants to go into versus using his or her chem-e degree, chemical engineering degree, in some other industry? And you know, it's a little bit like you don't know until they show up. And consequently, we, uh, we're going to try very hard to attract those people back into our industry as we start into a growth mode again, because if this cycle's like every other one, at some point we'll go back into a growth mode and we'll recover, and our human resource needs mm -hmm. will go with it. Are you already looking at that as Anadarko sort of, and if, if you don't want to share because that's proprietary, do you think the industry is sort of looking at like, okay, we know this, we don't know how long the down cycle will last, It'll but have you already looked at like, all right, how do we begin to get talent back in, in the door? Uh, once things pick up a little bit, I think from on the service side, we are yeah. we as industry as upstream are worried about you know will the service sector have those trained field people to do the work that, mm -hmm. that we did say from the 2010 to 2014 period. As upstream companies, and I'd say particularly with Anadarko, we we hired during the downturn. Like we had a fairly full internship program this summer. We will hire people this fall, even though we, we had a workforce reduction mm -hmm. of 17% in March. Uh, several predecessors of, of, our, of mine ago, Bob Allison, really felt strongly during periods of time when we were going through these same down cycles that Anadarko needed to hire during the down cycle, engineers, geologists, because we needed to keep bringing in that talented, fresh pool of thought and idea. 
And uh, I'd say in prior downturns, we've continued to do that, and we're doing that again today. But Anadarko is not unique in that regard. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's more how many of those smart young men and women want to come into the oil and gas industry versus choices to go into others. Right. So how does a company like Anadarko that could be seen as a commodity business. I mean, we are right. How do you differentiate yourself in the marketplace and in the years ahead? Like, how does Anadarko say we're the better company to work with, or either work for, or you know, if we want to work around you, or or customers buy your oil? All of it. Tough question, and not an easy answer because simply. We believe that the culture at Anadarko attracts people to go to work for us and with us that like that culture. It's important that culture perpetuates itself over time. And so that as you go through these ups and downs in the commodity-based industry that we're in, we go through you know, the types of things we're feeling in the last two years with a lot of contraction, that the culture of, of where you come to work, who you work with, how you do what you do, and who you do it with, is attractive to people. Uh, as we think about tomorrow's millennial that might come to work in our industry, he or she's going to have a choice. Do I want to go to work someplace that I think gives me positive reinforcement for why I come to work every day? Or is it going to be a company that provides negative reinforcement, which typically doesn't work real well with millennials? Or actually most people. <laughs> <laughs> So the U.S. Geological Survey came out recently with the report that the Manco Shale in northwestern Colorado has an estimated 66 trillion cubic feet of natural gas. Is that of interest? And, and again, that might be, again, proprietary information, but is Anadarko looking at that? Do you think that will take off? Do we need more infrastructure from the midstream side? Do we need more liquefied natural gas exports before that gets tapped? Do you have a prediction for that play? Not for the play, yeah. uh, but I would say I still think there's a lot of pros prospectivity uh, onshore in the U.S. Mm -hmm. and that we're, we're far from having what we think of as our known resources known and that we'll continue to find things that we didn't see a, a few years ago. Like this in particular. I mean, that's right. a huge change. That's a huge change. Yeah. Now, how commercial those resources are is a question that only Tom will be able to answer. Mm -hmm. um, Certainly at higher prices, certain more expensive shales or rocks to extract fluids from uh, will be able to be accessed, whereas today, with a price of oil below $50, the more expensive uh, rock properties that take a whole lot more expense to either drill and complete or both uh, fall out. Now, unfortunately for Colorado, the DJ Basin is probably one of the lowest break-even costs of any producing area of the country. So I think the DJ Basin is extremely well positioned to take advantage of a lot of stuff. Do you um, do you report what that break-even price is in your filings? It's below $40 a okay. barrel. Yeah, so that I could ask you that is basically what I was saying. <laughs> well, there is. we're kind of reaching the conclusion of our interview, but is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, one of the things I would, I would say in closing is that uh, we, we as industry have been, and I said this earlier today, we've been very fortunate. We have a governor and two U.S. senators who understand the importance and the role that oil and gas plays, not just in providing cheap energy from a consumer standpoint, but the role it plays with schools, with roads, with infrastructure, and the importance that means to the state today and tomorrow 
and that we understand as an industry we have to balance that with a good regulatory environment that makes sure that the lowest common denominator does the right thing in order to be a good neighbor and a good partner, particularly in areas that we see increased urbanization from. I do think without question that the, there is a, a stronger appreciation for what the oil and gas industry does in 2016 than in 2014 when these same ballot initiatives or something like them were on, uh, out there before. And I do attribute that to the fact that we have three really good spokespeople in the form of the governor and both senators that understand the issue and that can talk to the electorate and actually be more credible of the electorate than people looking at an industry saying, well, he's saying that because it's self-serving. Got it. All right, now, you can give a plug on why people should look at Anadarko to come work if you'd like. Well, we'd like to, since we want to thank you for being here, we'd like to give you a plug. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and where yeah. can people find out more information? Yeah. Well, you can always go to www.anadarko.com, and on there, there are many opportunities to come to work for us. Mm -hmm. I think people will tell you that, uh, that have been there for a long time, it's a place they call home every day because it feels like a place that feels like home. They enjoy what they do. Yes, they get frustrated by the commodity volatility, but they know they're appreciated and they understand that what they do every day is very important to the lives of people in this country because energy is very important to everything we do. Well, Al Walker, thank you so much for being with us. It was a great conversation. You bet. Thank you for having me. been listening to What Turns You On, the Koga podcast presented by CH2M. CH2M helps the oil and gas industry with upstream, midstream, and downstream work across the project lifecycle. This includes engineering, project management, siting licensing permitting, and water and wastewater management. For more information, check out ch2m.com. For more podcasts and to learn more about the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, go to koga.org.